So in 2007, my last living grandparent passed, Grandpa Jagger. He was in his late 80s, and uh, he, uh, his wife, Rosemary, had passed in 1994. So he lived uh, a lot of years as a widower, and um, I would, we wouldn't say that Grandpa Jagger was necessarily the glue that held the family together. That was probably Rosemary. Uh, but he was a quiet, steady presence in the family. Uh, he was always there, had something uh, fun to do, uh, had this great, this great long shelf full of National Geographics. He loved the wilderness. He loved adventuring. And word is in the family that, you know, and I think it was uh, 2000, in the early 2000s, he had come up to Thunder Bay to, um, uh, to go hunting, fishing somewhere. And so... Uh, Grandpa Jagger came here before we did. Uh, I, I had a warm relationship with, with my grandpa. He, um, didn't, he, didn't, he was a man of very few words. He you know, was kind of an in, inner processor. Uh, but when the times that we were together were, were amazing. And so here, here we were at Grandpa Jagger's funeral in 2007. And of course, everyone was sad. Uh, he died a little bit before kind of his time. He was sort of a persistent smoker. And so he was kind of, a, uh, I don't know, he didn't have much, many, much meat on his bones by the time he passed. And, um, and so we, we, we thought he went a little probably before it felt like his time. But uh, um, we were all there, the, the extended family, everyone was together. And... Uh, uh, we have a whole bunch of uh, cousins, so my dad's sister living in Chicago. And it was every holiday that you can think of was with, with the Maxwells up in Chicago. So the Jaggers, three hours away, the Maxwells. Uh, my, my grandpa lived in my hometown. So the Maxwells from Chicago would travel every holiday down three hours to come spend Easter and Christmas and uh, all sorts of events down together. And so we were all together in that time. And every, every year, and I, I didn't understand the magnitude as a kid of the Maxwells and all they gave up to travel every holiday. And so as things do, as families do, we sort of slowly grow apart, see each other less. The sacrifice as their kids and grandkids grew in Chicago became greater and greater for them to travel down. And so when they would come down uh, in those later years in Grandpa Jagger's life, they would only stay you know, for a couple of days and then beeline it back up to Chicago for their life and everything they were doing. Uh, but, uh, and so you know, we, we uh, came to the day of the funeral. We had his service. We buried him. And then um, I was expecting for the Maxwells to beeline it back to Chicago. But they stayed and lingered on. And they stayed late into the afternoon, and we went and got ice cream together, and I thought, oh, this is great. This sense of togetherness, this almost feeling like this last sense of togetherness before the family began to really drift. And, uh, and so we got ice cream together, and we were chatting, and it was great. Uh, and then um, we went back to my parents' house, and then the Maxwells came back to my parents' house. And we spent like late into the evening playing games and laughing. And there was a togetherness that just wasn't, hadn't been there in a long time. Uh, and I thought to myself, wow, well, maybe they're going to stay overnight and all that. But no, they, they stayed till late with little, little kids. They stayed uh, late. And, you know, it was like 10, 11 p.m. They drove back to Chicago in the wee hours of the morning. Uh, and I don't think I'll ever forget that experience because it was so profound to me, this sense of, the, a last sense of togetherness lingering late into the 
evening of a, of a funeral day. And so as we are uh, with the disciples on, on Jesus' resurrection day, it began as a day, a few days after the funeral, and they were still together, and they were lingering together as the disciples, and uh, there came to be this Sunday where they went to the tomb and he wasn't there, his body wasn't there, and things got thrown into a huge chaos. Um, and emotions were flying left and right, and people were saying they've seen him and other people's hadn't. And so it was this great almost anti-funeral day where they were gathering together. And I've been asking the question, and thinking to myself and asking this question to us, about what must it have been like to live through that anti-funeral day? all still gathered together, emotions soaring, emotions confused. What must it have been like to experience the living Jesus show up to, to you face to face, resurrected? What must it have been like to encounter angels who are testifying to that? This is the beginning of something that you could never have expected, but something profoundly new. What must it have been like to to eat with Jesus and have your mind opened by him to the scriptures and to all that was written about him? What must have it been like to have the Holy Spirit come upon you and all of a sudden your mouth was opened and you're able to say things eloquently and articulately and, and, and describe the, the truths of God even though you had no education? What must have it been like to be a resurrected or a resurrection church? These are the questions I'm sort of pondering as we're going through these stories. And we've, uh, we've come to a few different thoughts so far. This is uh, a third part of a, uh, of a many-part series. Hey, Joseph, do we have that linked on the, on the, on the thing? There? there we go. What must have it been like to, to be together and, um, and experience these things? And we've been talking about their, their deep need of one another. They were, they were huddled together. They were close. They needed one another. They, uh, they spent time together. And so uh, their, their vulnerability that they shared in front of one another, the, the, the willingness they were to cry uh, in front of one another, the willingness they were to, to, uh, to look foolish in front of each other, sharing their, their testimony of seeing Jesus. Um, and, and here he was, uh, you know, the, his hidden presence, always among them, and showing up in various ways, um, disguised as one thing or another. And so this, this, this question I talked about last week, and if you missed last week's message, you can go on the, uh, the website. It's all, all the websites, uh, all the uh, messages are podcasted there. And so uh, this, this deep need of one another, this deep togetherness of one another, and Jesus showing up, and how we need one another so deeply if you and I are going to catch the hidden presence of Jesus in our life, because he's still with us, and we deeply need one another. Uh, but our lives and our experience of that, what must it have been like to be the first disciples, are so filtered. I mean, there's a filter in front of us, and our, we feel sometimes like, like so different, you know, uh, than they must have felt. You know, we, um, we have, you know, Unlike them, you know, they were with Jesus for three years and Jesus was teaching them about how to live and how to shape their life. But unlike them who had left everything to follow him, sometimes we can be like the people who maybe followed Jesus for a while and then, and then drifted. Uh, Jesus talked about the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life choking us 
and taking our contentment away. And that can be a filter in between us and experiencing what they must have felt like. We can want the best things for us in our life and go after the, the, the highest positions and the highest sense of, of uh, privilege in life. And we can go after the, the best jobs and have the biggest bank accounts. And um, this, this contentment that Jesus talks about uh, was probably, uh, we're probably so far sometimes away from what they understood. Uh, our judgmentalism, our inability to forgive one another. Um, we can sometimes, I'll just put it this way, sometimes we today can be so overwhelmed by our immaturity that we completely miss the hidden presence of Jesus in our life. And this is partly why we need one another to help us figure that out and point that out. Our lives, our lives can be so deeply unbearable in our pain, in our in our invulnerability, in our loneliness, in our consumerism, um, that we can forget that there's a whole fresh, lively, powerful way of living that we have access to because we are part of God's people. And so, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've been thinking of it like this. You know, this is it, the, the picture that I've been painting of us and just trying to be as vulnerable and real with you as possible, is a group of messy people with mixed motives who miss it and completely sometimes botch Jesus' way of life. That's who we are here, let's be honest. <laughs> and yet somehow in this messiness, uh, this particular sense of a group of people missing it quite a bit, this is what God has chosen to redeem and save the world. And so it's less about us getting all these things perfectly and more about us looking at our motives and realizing if we can purify our motives and get our motives pure in this thing, uh, we're very close to experiencing the power and the reality of, of Jesus and his resurrection. So we've been talking about um, Jesus and those first events and all the, the disciples and uh, and their experiences. We've been talking about an empty tomb, the anti-funeral day, a day of women coming early and finding Jesus and asking the question, all right, guys, where were the men disciples? You know, the, the early uh, women, they were up early. They, they uh, were coming to show their devotion and the guys were still sleeping. And uh, so uh, Mary Magdalene encountering the risen Lord. And now the first day passes and the family, Jesus' disciples, are gathered together late into the night on that resurrection day. And people, are, like I've said before, are all over the map. Some are excited. Some can barely contain their excitement. Some don't quite believe. They're still confused. They haven't seen Jesus. Uh, some of their hearts are burning because Jesus opened their hearts to his reality. And so we, we see that when they came together on the first day of the week. Next slide. Lots of good pictures here. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. 
first day of the week. It's still the first day, the, still the first resurrection day. And uh, Jesus comes and says to them, I'm going to offer, offer my visible self freely to you. Come touch my wounds. Come see that it was me. The doors, go back one slide. The doors, sorry, this thing's not working. Um, when it was evening on that day, uh, they came together. And, um, and Jesus says, he says to them, peace be with you. He comes and shows them his hands. And, and you know, this, there's, he's going to say, peace be with you to them three different times. I think the effect of this first peace be with you is like, look, guys, you're all over the map here. <laughs> some of you are confused and some of you are excited and some of you are, 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 are super, um, uh, you know, you, you can't contain yourself. Uh, let's calm it down. <laughs> peace be with you. I'm, I'm here. I'm among you. And so he comes in. He says, peace be with you. And, and, and they're afraid, right? They're afraid. Their door, the doors are locked. They're in the upper room. And we, we have to ask ourselves, like, what are they afraid of? Why, why, are they, you know, why are they locked? Well, look what happened to Jesus, right? Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not, it's not going to go well for you if you make yourself known at this point. And you can, you know, all the way through the early church in, in the first few chapters of Acts, they keep themselves behind locked doors, and um, there's a lot of disciples that are going to start dying. They're going to start getting stoned and cast off mountains, and their heads are going to start getting cut off because they're going to be explicit about their, uh, they are Jesus' followers. And so for good reason, they find the upper room, this place where they lock themselves in fear, and uh, somehow Jesus is able to be among them. It's like his body, his new body, works both in this world, in the earthly realm, and then in, in the heavenly realms as well. He's at home in both heaven and earth. He can walk through doors. Can you imagine? So he comes in among them, and uh, he says to them, peace be with you. Okay, next slide. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, freely. And we're going to get to Thomas today. Thomas is going to be our main character who we're looking at. And Thomas is going to want this. He's going to want to see his side. But Jesus, we don't know where he is. He's not with them. He's off somewhere uh, that day. And, and so, uh, but to them, to the, to the 11 or the, the 10 that are left, he's showing them his hands and his feet. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. And this peace be with you has some of the effect of, uh, you know, I know that you can't contain yourself. I know that you're rejoicing and excited, but I've got some stuff here to tell you. So listen up. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. We're going to get into these, um, in these teachings in the next couple weeks because uh, this is just one of the many examples of Jesus commissioning them to go be more than they were originally, uh, more than disciples. They're, they're going to send them on a mission. And then this, this kind of confusing phrase about what do we not, if we tell people they're not forgiven somehow, they're not forgiving of their sins. I'm going to get into this in the coming weeks. But here, here's the thing That's, that I'm going to highlight in, in this particular verse. When, they, when Jesus came back to them, we have to understand the gravity of this. When Jesus came back to them on this day, everything that had died in them came back to life with him. 
Everything they thought was dead, everything they thought was gone that they were grieving has now come back. Can you imagine? I mean, just the way I get at this is I ask this question. What, what in our lives has died? What hopes or dreams or things that we were wanting for ourselves seems to have died? What things aren't true that we want to be true? What things uh, have we gone through that have felt like it's been a, like a, a death? All of those things put together. Put those all together in a bundle and think of those all coming true and, and, and coming together in one moment. Everything that had, they had thought was, was dead is back to life. And that's what this is the experience of, of the early church. This is what their hope was about. So the next, next slide. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the 12 was not with him when Jesus came. Yeah, where was he? <laughs> what was he up to? Was he out in the market? Was he, maybe he's making plans to go back to his own life, his old life? You know, he realized that, okay, this thing's over now. I gotta go and, uh, and make, make my own way. He was called the twin because he was probably a twin twin of, of some sort. Uh, <laughs> so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. You know, I think Thomas, come on. You know, like, were the disciples prone to practical jokes? Like, why didn't he believe? You know, like, what, what was it about the, his, his friends that they, he, couldn't, he, couldn't, he couldn't just trust them? Um, you know, and it's like, and why the defiance? You know, like, this is a defiant response. Not like, okay, tell me more. Or like, okay, what's this about? It's like, I will not believe. And think of the intimacy of this. Unless I take my finger and I put it inside of the wounds in his hands. And unless I take my hand and put it inside the wound in his side. I will not believe. This is like a deep act of defiance. And what does this say about Thomas? And this is what I want to get into for the rest of the day here. This, uh, you know, the... Um, the early disciples were mixed in their response. Some of them believed, others of, others, others of them couldn't quite bring themselves there. And we as a modern day church are mixed as well. Some of you out there have a sense of faith. Some of you are of two minds. I, maybe I can bring myself, maybe I can't. Others of you are like, you know what? Unless God shows up right here, right now, for whatever reason, I'm not gonna believe it. I know that this many people sitting in one room, the spectrum is here. So uh, Thomas, Thomas becomes the help to us as we figure out how to, how to do with this. Now, a little more about Thomas. Next slide. I don't know if you, if you know this. I'm surprised that a lot of people haven't heard this because it's sort of foundational in early church history. Thomas makes his way all the way down to southern India as a, as a missionary. He starts up here in Israel. This is... Saudi Arabia, this is uh, kind of Persia in here. Uh, so uh, he, he comes, he makes his way as a disciple all the way through all this terrain, all the way down to southern India. I, the, you know, uh, in the fall here, we had a, uh, a Thanksgiving meal that we hosted out at someone's camp, and uh, we did it uh, in fellowship with, uh, um, with the, the Muslim community in town. We had a, a bunch of uh, refugees uh, that we had gave Thanksgiving meal to, and we had uh, some time of getting to know one another. And uh, one of the one of the Muslim 
college or college students brought a friend of his who was from India, and we got talking, and he's Catholic, and he's from southern India. And he's like, oh, southern India. And I've known a number of southern Indians who are Christians. And he's like, this is where Thomas, the disciple Thomas, made his way. And if you go down to Kerala, or Kerala down here in this part of India, there's so many Christians, and they are, I don't know what they call themselves, Thomasites. <laughs> They are followers of the disciple Thomas, who, who is this person who we're talking about today. And uh, apparently he was martyred, um, was stoned to death down in this part of India. But even to this day, 2,000 years later, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are Christians, and they draw their lineage all the way back to Thomas. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, a little interesting bit of fact there. Uh, and so this, this is a person who was of two minds at one point in his life. He didn't always have it together. He wasn't always rushing quick to faith. He had questions. And as he worked through them, as, as Jesus became real to him, uh, and more real than he could possibly know, he's one of the most profound missionaries, uh, made one of the, the biggest impacts. If any one of us today has a movement around 2,000 years from now who draws its origins back to our missionary work, we're going to be like way up there, okay? Like it's, we're going to be lucky if 150 years from now anyone knows our name. So I'm just, just drawing the, the impact that this guy had. Um, so um, why, Thomas, why were you so of two minds when, when Jesus came to you? And so I'm going to um, outline this here for us. Because we, we have a little bit of misunderstanding in the church at Broad today about what faith is. How does faith work? What, what was Thomas's experience? Why did some believe and some not believe in the early church? Next slide. Okay, so I've got some words up here. I'm going to leave this slide up because I'm going to teach us a little bit about this. Um, sometimes, I think, whole movements of, of Christian uh, church and Christian faith can get so wrapped up in a misunderstanding about faith and what it is uh, that, that things go really, really awry. And so, um, if, if in the early church, when they saw Jesus the, you know, face-to-face, the living Lord, some believed and some doubted, <laughs> how much more true is that going to be today for all of us, who, none of us who've, who've seen with our eyes? And so, uh, here's how it works. Faith is like faith is like a destination. That w- when we get to a destination and we get to a place like faith, it's um, the, uh, what, you, what you see there, what it's like there, is people worshiping. It's like um, people are, even though they haven't seen God, and even though maybe they've been tempted in their life to trust many things, they're not trusting in many things. They're, they're fully worshiping God. They're humbly bowing their knee and giving their whole selves, trusting and trusting everything about them, their whole life, their family, their money, their uh, relationships, their well-being, all of this. They're entrusting this fully into God's hands. This is faith. This is where, this is a proskuneo in pistos, or the, or the Greek words. I'm going to do a little Greek for you today. Proskuneo, this is, word, this is the word about worship. You know, I don't know if you know the Psalms well, but in Psalm, um, Psalm 94 it says this. Let us come. Let us worship the Lord and bow down before him in his presence. This is, this is what faith does. It causes us to worship. And faith in God causes us to worship God. And pistos, pistos is this Greek word which is, 
which captures it. It's this fully giving ourselves over in worship. And so uh, Thomas is going to get there, okay? Thomas is going to come and he's going to see Jesus and he's going to say something like this. My Lord and my God. He's good. Jesus is going to show him his, nail, his, his wounds and he's going to say, my Lord and my God. He, he gets there to faith. That's faith. Or, um, it, you know, there's a, uh, going back in John a little bit in the gospel, in John 9, if you remember, there was a, a man who was blind from birth, and Jesus came and healed him, healed his eyes. And then he, was, he, he got in trouble for this, because Jesus did it on a day that he wasn't supposed to do it. And Jesus got in trouble. But this, this, Jesus comes to this man later and says, do you want to know who healed you? Do you want to worship the Son of Man? He called himself the son of man. He's like, yeah, I do. I want this. And so uh, Jesus said, it's me. I'm the son of man. I healed you. I'm the God's special son. And it says this man proskuneoed Jesus, fell down and worshiped him. Like that's, that's what we're trying to get to. That's the destination of faith, where we get to this uh, putting our whole lives in God and worshiping him. Uh, and yet we also see from this, this time that, um, oh, in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew says when Jesus showed up uh, in, in Galilee, that some of them worshipped him. But then we have all, all these other little shades of response to Jesus. And what Thomas was, was the distazo. This, this word is of being two minds. Like, I kind of want to give myself to this. It kind of kind of feels right and seems right to me. It makes sense to me. But I've got questions. I'm of two minds. I, um, I'm split in my mind. I can't quite give myself fully. And this is what Thomas was. He was of two minds. He's like, you know, like, I can't, I'm not going to be able to give myself unless I've got something, some things answered. This is the same word that uh, Matthew uses, the Gospel of Matthew uses, when Peter starts to go out and walk on the water, right? You remember that story? Jesus is walking on the water and says, Peter, come on, join me. And Peter gets out and he's like walking on water. It's like the miraculous, supernatural thing. He's walking. And it says that he became of two minds. He distazoed. Yeah, okay, I'm doing this. I can kind of give myself to it, but uh-oh. Look at the wind. Look at the waves. I can't. The humans can't do this. And that second mind caused him to start sinking. And Jesus came down and lifted him up and says, Oligopistoi. You have little faith. Um, and so uh, distazo. This is where Thomas was. He's in this place where he's not quite on the destination. He's halfway on the journey, and he's like, uh, I can't quite give myself to this. I think, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, many of us are in this place, and even though that some of us maybe have been in faith before and worshiping God, sometimes we find ourselves going away from that destination and coming back to this halfway point where we, we can go, you know, I used to believe, but I'm of two minds about this. I've got something, there's roadblocks in my way. I need something answered before I can go back to faith and worshiping. So there's that. But doubt is not the same thing as unbelief. Okay, this is, this is the important key here. Apistos, the A in front of the pistos. The unbelief. This is something completely different than of two minds. Apistos is this, even if I saw, I I'm not going to believe. Even if I saw it, I wouldn't believe it. And this is what Jesus warns against. This is more like someone defending their kingdom. They've got something that's precious to them, and, they're, and, and if, something, if something comes against it, they're going to defend it to the end. 
That's apistos. That's uh, Jesus, even if you showed up to me in your resurrected form, I'm going to defend something here because I'm, I'm feeling threatened by you. And, and, and we can slip from distazo to apistos. We can go from I'm of two minds here and genuinely wanting to find the answers to, you know what, I've got my own dreams and my own ideas about how my life should go. And I'm going to defend those, God, even if you confront them. And the funny thing is, I've been wrestling through this in my own life lately a little bit. Like, Jesus is like, you have ideas for how your life, how you want it to go. But my dreams are so much better for you than your own dreams. What I want for your life is actually bigger. You, like, you maybe have $10,000, metaphorically. You may have $10,000 you're sitting on and guarding. I've got, I've got a million dollars waiting for you and what I want for you in your life. And this is how Jesus confronts us. Jesus confronts our life. And he says, you give those up. Give those dreams up, those things that aren't, aren't what I want for you. And come and take my inheritance. But Apistos says, even if, even if you showed up, God, I'm not giving this up. What is that for you? What is that for us? What are the things that we want to guard so carefully that even if the resurrected Jesus showed up in front of us, we wouldn't give over to him? That's Apistos. Uh, and the last one here I've put on the bottom is certainty. Certainty is what Thomas was after, right? He was after, I want to be able to touch and see. I want to be able to be certain of this. I want some scientific certainty that this is true. And uh, that form of apistos, that form of unbelief, uh, is just like falling off a cliff. Like you've fallen in a ditch. Uh, faith is never about certainty. Jesus is trying to teach us his, this all the way through the Gospel of John. You're never going to be certain 100%. Never scientific. Uh, faith, is, faith requires some sort of uh, unknowing for you to be able to come into it. Um, and I'll be going into this in the, in the next little bit. But just to sort of to, to finish this off, um, the next slide here. You remember this story? Jesus feeds 5,000 people. He, he's in front of a crowd of 5,000 people earlier in his ministry, just to help us get our minds around what, uh, how this all works or how faith works. Uh, he feeds 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And then he goes and walks on water and crosses the lake. And when they all wake up on this side of the lake, they're like, well, where did Jesus go? He just did that awesome thing. Let's go find him. So the boat, get in 10,000 boats. I don't know how many boats it takes to, <laughs> I guess it wouldn't. Two and, they'll go the other way. Math goes the other way. Okay. Uh, 2,000 boats. Who knows? How many boats does it take to get 5,000 people across the shore? So they come across and they say to Jesus, uh, where'd you go? Why did, why did, well, you did this great sign. Why'd you leave us? Why'd you, why'd you hide from us? And again, we get the sense Jesus kind of likes to hide. Why'd you hide from us? And Jesus said, you're after me because I fed your bellies. Not because you really want to believe in me. How did he know this? I don't know. But, but uh, they're like people that are just, they're hungry for anything. They don't really want to follow him. They don't really want to worship him. They just want something, some sort of meaning in their life. Um, and so, and when, and when they get it from Jesus and God, they're going to be followers. And when they get it from something else, they'll follow something else. It's just like a wishy-washy, I'm going to take whatever works for me kind of way. And so they said to Jesus, uh, where did you go? And he's like, well, you don't really want to believe in me. You're just like, because I fed you. And... Uh, Nice thing to say, Jesus. 
And, uh, and he says to them, God wants you to believe in me. Like truly believe in me. Truly give your life to me. That's the work that God wants of you. Go, from, go away from this wishy-washy stuff and trust in me. And they said, Jesus, listen to this. Can you give us a sign to prove that you're who you say you are? And not only that, like, okay, they just got fed. 5,000 5, people just got fed. And there were leftovers. Can you give us a sign? And listen, this is, I can't even believe that they would say this. You know, remember way back in the desert when our ancestors were in the desert, God sent manna down from heaven to feed them. Can you give us a sign like that? <laughs> Jesus said, I've, I've done that sign already. You saw, and yet you were still unwilling to believe. Oopistos. You didn't have faith. And the point is this. There's a type of way of being that says, even if I see, even if I see it, even if God showed up in front of me, uh, I'm still guarding something. And that's, that's uh, pistis. So back one slide, Joseph. Thank you. Um, that's certainty. That's the way of certainty. That's, you're never going to get it because that's not how faith works. Uh, Jesus doesn't want us to uh, come to him with that kind of uh, defending our own kingdom mentality. He wants us to believe, even if you don't see it, even if it doesn't fully uh, make sense. Come to me. And uh, he's very patient in Edistan, in Distazo. Very patient when we're of two minds. When we can't quite give ourselves. But he says, don't play the apistos game. Be very careful. Come to faith to me. But don't slip into this certainty game. Don't slip into this defending your own kingdom stuff. Thomas, he's going to say. Don't do that. Don't play that game. Life isn't there. Your life isn't there. Uh, but it is, your life is in me. And I'm going to give you life to the full. So two slides over. Thank you. Uh, I love this quote from one of the ancient uh, Christian books of our, of our Christian tradition. It said, God reveals himself to the humble in the lowliest of disguises. Think about that. If you're humble and you want God, he's going to show up, if you're paying attention, in the lowliest of disguises. And he's around. If you're paying attention, he's always there, always in the lowliest of disguises. But the proud, who never look below the surface, this is those people in the crowds, but the proud, who never look below the surface, fail to find him even in his greatest manifestations. It's about our hearts. It's about our humility, our ability to bow before a king. Can we do that? Next slide. A week later, okay, so a week passes, and his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. This time, he's like, heard that Jesus resurrected. He didn't believe it. A week goes by, and although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. What kind of peace be with you was this? This must have been a, I haven't been with you for a week. Don't fret. I'm still with you. Even though you haven't seen me or felt me for a while, peace be with you. I'm still with you. And Jesus came and stood among them and said that. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Don't, distazo, don't doubt, don't be of two minds, but believe. Have pistis, have faith. Give yourself to me. Drink of my waters. You won't thirst from it. Ever again. 
Thomas answered him, and this is where he shifts, my Lord and my God. He gets to faith. My Lord and my God. And this is like, uh, I think, some of the most profound moments in the first early days of our, of our faith journey, of our, of our uh, faith tradition. This is Jesus. I mean, this is, this is how it goes literally in the Greek, and it's so intimate. Um, Thomas, your fingers in my hands, your hands in my side, your fingers, my hands, your hands, my side. I mean, this is the type of intimacy that's available in the relationship with Jesus. He's like, if you want, if you want me, come close to me, and I will give you my presence, which is the greatest treasure in all the universe. It may not give you riches. I may not give you times where, no, where, there, where there are no trials. Your life may not go as you want it to be. It may not be easy, but you'll have the greatest treasure with you, my presence. Uh, you want people to love you and to give you a sense of worth. They're human beings. <laughs> They're faulty. Come to me. In me, I'll give you a sense of self-worth that's beyond anything you can imagine. Don't have unbelief. Don't play that game, Thomas. But have faith. And Thomas opens his heart. Next slide. But Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? But blessed rather are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. And this is where he wants, this is what he's saying. Without seeing, without certainty, blessed rather are those people who come and yet believe. And that's us. So last slide. What, what do we do with this? What do we do with this reality that in the earliest church there was people who doubted and people who believed and there was a mixed bag and there's all this sense of the differing response. What do we do with this? I think the first thing I'd like to say is let's be, remind ourselves of Jesus' patience. Jesus was extremely patient with the double-minded. We don't have to be a church of people who drive people out the doors if they don't have something like certainty. If you, if you have questions, this is a great place for you to be. Other churches, not all churches, but a lot of other churches I've been to don't have space for being double-minded. They don't understand. They haven't, they haven't really listened to what Jesus was talking about here. Uh, Jesus is very patient with double-mindedness, and so should we be too. And we should be patient with ourselves if we find ourselves drifting back and forth. But here's the thing. Don't do the unbelief stuff. If you find yourself going, I can't believe um, because, you know, I have questions. Okay, let's, get, let's talk about those. Let's find, let's find some answers. But if, you, but if you find yourself going, you know what, if I'm really honest with myself, I don't believe because I'm guarding something, realize you're slipping towards apistos. And we need to deal with this. And so um, the church and the faith journey, how do you, what do you do with this? How do we do this together? Sometimes, you know, um, I think, you know, people walk into these doors and they may have questions and they may not know what to do with them. How, like, where do you bring them? How do you get your questions answered? Well, one way is each other. You know, home groups, for those in home groups, it's a great place to come and to be honest about your questions. If you're in a home group, and you haven't yet, and you have double-mindedness, and you're, you aren't quite sure, and haven't shared that yet, it'd be a great place to share in your home group. Uh, here's my questions. 
I'm not quite there yet. And if, and if someone shares that, you know, in a small group setting, don't shame them. Don't look, well, okay, well, let me fix this. Let me answer all your questions and, make, and bring you to faith. That's, that's not your job. That's God's job. So if someone is vulnerable about their doubts in a home group setting, it's okay. It's, it's, it's best to get it out. Uh, you can have coffee with people. You can uh, get to know some folks around church and bring your questions there. And uh, look for opportunities, like there's a women's retreat coming up. Go to, your, go to a women's retreat and uh, bring, your, bring your questions. Find someone to share your doubts with or share your faith with. Uh, if you're not in a home group and want to be, this Thursday night is a chance to discover how to get into the home groups. Home groups are a great place. Retreats. Uh, there are classes that come up here and then. Right now on Wednesday nights, I'm week eight into a uh, uh, 10-week course on discipleship. Uh, Wednesday nights. Pay attention. There are always spaces of, that come up and available to bring your questions and to, to, to grow. Our church is a great place if we know that, that, uh, that we can be gentle with one another. Um, and the last thing I want to say is it's, unbelief can kind of be trendy right now. Like it's trendy to, to sort of say, you know what, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not really sure what I believe or there's a great, great mystery. We can't be certain. And so therefore we shouldn't do this faith thing at all. You know, and people go off into their own individual lives and they, they read books and listen to podcasts and they, sort of, there's a sort of trend in this direction. Just beware that unbelief can be trendy. Um, and so what do you do with that? Recognize, just recognize the different shades of response to Jesus and realize that his response for us, what he wants of us, is to come to a place where we're going, my Lord and my God. He says it earlier in the Gospel of John this way. I want you to know that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. This is where we're getting to. And uh, um, if you're there, awesome. <laughs> Congratulations. Well done. Keep going. Uh, give that gift of, of, of your testimony and how you got there to others. But if you're not quite there yet, if, you're not, if you have two minds, um, it's a great chance in the last couple songs here, to tell that to God. God, unless I see, I'm not sure I'm going to believe. Um, God, I want to believe, but I, I need some help. This is a great chance to bring this to the living God today who's here with us, disguised, perhaps, in our presence. Um, I'm excited to keep going with this series, friends. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about Jesus showing up on the shores of Galilee next week. He's going to show up, cook some fish for his friends. Any fishermen in here would be a good sermon for you to listen to. Uh, and he's going to show them a little bit deeper just uh, his particular love for them and how he's going to be with them in their trying times. And so uh, we'll jump into that and we'll keep going with this. So friends, whatever's on your heart today, whatever God has said to you, whatever is stirring inside of you, uh, the invitation is this. Bring it to the table and uh, don't miss the opportunity this morning to share your heart with the living God. Uh, this, is the, this is the moment to do it. Uh, so take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and whatever prayer it is, uh, go to your seats and uh, spend some time with the God who is close. So friends, the table is set, and everyone here is welcome. <laughs>